Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. Well, we started a series a couple of weeks ago. We're calling Who Told You You're Naked? And we're, we're using the story in Genesis chapter 3 sort of as a, a starting point or a launch pad for this series. You know the story where Adam and Eve disobey God. They sin. They realize that they're naked. Genesis chapter 3 verse 7 says that they made uh, little fig leaf outfits for themselves. And then they heard God coming to look for them, calling for them, and they, they hide from them. And finally they come out and they admit, God, we heard you coming and we hid from you because we were afraid because we were, were naked. We talked about how Adam saw himself as naked and the way that he saw himself, even though it wasn't entirely accurate because the verse before that just told us he's just clothed himself with fig leaves. So even though it's not even true, the way that he saw himself, what was going on in his mind affected literally every single area of his life. It affected his, his behavior. It affected his emotions. It affected what he was doing, his going and hiding. It affected the way he's feeling and anxiety and stress and fear. So emotionally it's affecting him. It affects him spiritually. Now he is avoiding the presence of God instead of pursuing the presence of God, the way that he saw himself. And then God asks Adam and Eve this question and says, who, who told you you're naked? Where, where did you get that idea? Who told you to see yourself that that's who you are or that's what you are? Who took this random detail of, of your life and moved it to become the identity that that's how you see yourself? Yourself and you're making decisions based on the fact that you are or you were naked. Then so many people allow that to happen in their lives where they will take a detail, something that happened, something maybe it's not even true, but they'll begin to see themselves under that title or under that label and it will affect every area of, of your life. It's no wonder the enemy tries to fight for this area, uh, what's going on in our minds and how we think. Because if he can gain control of your mind, he's just gained control over the way that you relate to God, over your emotions, the things that you're feeling. He, he's control over your behavior. What you think is so important, how you see yourself and what is the source? Who, who told you that you're mediocre? Who told you that you've peaked in life? Who told you that you're no better than so-and-so? Wh where do you get this from? That we've got to learn to see ourselves in the mirror of God's, of God's word. So that, that's what we've been talking about. We're going to continue. This, this is such an important area for us to grow and to develop and build our faith and, and change, really change our lives, change who we are. It's one of the verses we looked at in Romans chapter 12, verse two, be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. That, that's how transformation takes place. I, I want to start this morning in Proverbs chapter four, verse 23, it says this, it says, guard your heart above all else. For it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines, it's going to dictate the course of your life, where you end up, what you end up accomplishing, the things that you do, the things that you fail to do. It's all going to be determined. It's going to all flow from your heart. So he's telling us, guard our hearts above anything else. You've got to guard your heart. 
When Beth and I first got married, we, we lived in, in Delaware. That's where she's from. And my first job when we got married, first job out of college, was to work for the state of Delaware at a maximum security prison, essentially, for teenage boys who were repeat offenders. And my title was Youth Rehabilitation Counselor, which sounds very, very good. In fact, I might have gotten my job here as the youth pastor based partially on that title. But if I'm being honest, the youth rehabilitation counselor, I, I was essentially a guard. I had very little interaction with the boys. I didn't do any rehabilitating. I didn't do any counseling. I was just, I was just a guard at this maximum security facility for teenage boys. So as a guard, what a guard does is they monitor and limit who goes in and who comes out, right? Nope, you, you're not allowed in there. You can't go in. Nope, you've got, you've got to stay in there. You're not allowed out. The things that go in or out, a guard will determine what goes in and what goes out. A guard will monitor what is happening within the area that they are guarding, right? Nope, hey, lights out, it's time for bed. Hey, we're not allowed to do that. You knock that off. Hey, it's, it's morning, get out of bed. It's time to get the day started. That, a guard determines those things. That's what a guard does. Monitors what's going on, limits access, and we're being told here that you and I, above anything else in our lives, we are to guard our hearts, to monitor what's, what's going on inside. No, 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 we, we, we don't do that. We, 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 this is how we behave. No, these things don't come in. No, these things don't go out. We are supposed to guard our hearts above anything else in our lives. We've got to guard our hearts. So th this is a command from the word of God. So it's important for us to understand what he's telling. Guard your heart above anything else. So we know what it means to guard, but when he's talking about heart, what exactly is he talking about? Sometimes when we read this passage, or really a lot of passages, or in church in general, we focus just on spiritual things, which makes sense because that's, that's what we're dealing with. And in reality, you are a, a spiritual being who's temporarily having a physical experience, but ultimately you are a spiritual being. So it makes sense. It's good for us to talk about spiritual stuff. But if that's all we talk about, then we, we neglect some other things that are very important, that while they might not be spiritual, they affect us spiritually. Are you with me? Even though it's not spiritual, it's important for us to talk about them because it impacts us spiritually. Maybe in your life, you love the Lord, you're serving the Lord, maybe you're doing everything that you know spiritually to do, but you feel like you've hit a lid or a plateau, and you've gone a certain distance in the things of God, but it's like you can't progress past a certain point. And you're doing all the spiritual stuff, you're reading your Bible, you're spending time in prayer, but you feel like it's almost like you're at the end of a chain or, or hitting an invisible lid. Maybe it's because there's some stuff that isn't as spiritual sounding, but it impacts you spiritually. And it has to do with the way that we think. When he says to guard our hearts above anything else, sure, there's some spiritual components to that. But in the Bible, when it talks about your heart, one of the things that it is referring to is the place where your thoughts take place. Where, where you think. I'll prove it to you. A verse that we, we've read a couple of times in this series. It's Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7 says, For as a man thinketh, 
Where, where's this thinking going on? Where's this thinketh-thing happening? As he thinketh where? In his heart, so is he. Which, I mean, there's so much revelation regarding this topic just in that verse alone. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. In Luke chapter 2, verse 19, after, after Mary had given birth to Jesus and the shepherds come and that, the whole Christmas story unfolds, you get to verse 19, it says, but Mary, Mary pondered all of these things. That word ponder means she's given deep thought to it. She's thinking. She's, she's really meditating on these things. Where's this pondering taking place according to the Bible? It's taking place in her heart, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. So pondering, meditating, thinking, it's happening in our heart. So when the Bible tells us to guard your heart above anything else, one of the things that we were being instructed to do is to guard your thoughts, guard the kinds of things that you think, monitor what's going on where your thinking takes place, what comes in, what's not allowed to come in. We've got to guard above anything else. You need to guard your thought life. Why? Because it will determine, the Bible says, the course of your life. Or another translation says, from it flows the issues of life. From your thoughts flow the issues of life. Think about that. Because most people, most people think that the issues they're having, that their source is out there somewhere. I've got, I've got relationship issues because, you know, people don't understand me. People always do me wrong. People don't respect me the way. So I've got issues. I've got people issues, and it's because of them. Or I've got, I've got issues at work because my boss is a, a jerk, and this is going on. So I've got issues there. I've got financial issues because, you know what, I've just caught a lot of rough breaks in my life. And so they, they think that their issues are all external, and they're flowing from other places into their life, but that's not what the Bible says. What does it tell us? It tells us to guard our thoughts above anything else because from your thoughts flow the issues of life. That's a different way of perceiving the way that life works. It's a different way of perceiving the way that life works. That from the way that I think and how I keep my heart and my mind, that's where issues, I'm, that's where life flows from. That I'm actually determining things internally instead of external things determining, yes. determining my life. Guard your heart above all else for it determines the course, the course of your life. Again, Proverbs 23, 7. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Your mind has creative power. Your mind has the ability not, not just to dwell on things and to calculate things. God has given us this incredible gift of an imagination, of a thought life. And it, it's not just some secret area where we can kind of run through scenarios. There is a force active in your mind, whether you realize it or not, that it it's creating the issues of life. It's determining, as a man thinks in his heart, it doesn't even say, so he will be. It says, that's how he is. It's determining who you are right now. That your life is a manifestation of what's, being, what's been taking place in your thought life. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, verse 19. It says, for out of the heart, out of the heart, what, what do we know about the heart? That's where a person thinks. That's where thought, thought takes place. Out of the heart proceed evil thoughts or evil intentions, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. 
Where do all of those things originate? Somebody has thought about them first. First, they, they were thinking about something. Long before the guy murdered the other guy, he was thinking about how much he hated. And he allowed certain patterns of thought to develop in his life. And eventually, that created the natural outcome of, of hatred or jealousy or whatever it is. Before someone steals something that doesn't belong to them, they've allowed a thought to take place. And out of the thoughts flow the issues of life. Before he became a thief, he decided, I want what that person has. I'll do whatever necessary to get what that person has. And eventually they, they steal it. Before someone commits adultery, before someone sleeps with someone who they're not married to, sleeps with someone else's spouse or just sleeps with someone that, that isn't their spouse, what's going on in their thought life? It doesn't just happen. They've allowed themselves to think immoral thoughts, to imagine certain scenarios. It's taking place in their mind and from your thoughts flow the issues of life. Well, now they've got an issue. Where, where did it start? It started in their mind. Your mind has creative power that Jesus said on, on the negative side, all of these things, all of these issues that people deal with, all of these sins, all of these crimes, they have a common origination spot in your heart or where thoughts, where thoughts take place. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, we looked at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, where Peter says, to gird up the loins of your mind. Maybe you remember us talking about that. He was talking about preparing, getting your mind ready. But he throws this, this word loins in there, and it gives it a, a different meaning. Because by loins, he meant your reproductive organs. And he ties that word with your mind. If you were here, I had one of my, my kids come up on the platform with me. We talked about the fruit, the fruit of my loins, that I could show you, I could show you the fruit of my loins. What I can't show you is my loins. One is secret, one I can put on display. He, he's tying that same kind of imagery with the way that your mind works, that there is a secret place of your mind, but it is the creative place of your mind. And I can't see what you think, you can't see what I think, but what we can see is the fruit of what your mind is creating. And you and I have got to be aware and be good stewards of this incredible ability God has given us. We're different than any other species on the planet. We have a mind, an imagination, and we've got to be intentional about what we do with our minds. Your mind has a creative force. Your mind has loins. Jesus said in Mark chapter 16 that these signs follow those who believe. You're familiar with this passage. These signs will follow those who believe. So he's talking about ministering to people. He's talking about things like laying hands on the sick and seeing those people recover. Those kinds of signs follow a certain kind of person, those who believe. Well, those who believe in what? Those who believe in Santa Claus? No, no. The kind of person that believes the power of God is working in me to the point where I can lay hands on the sick and God's power will make that person recover. Those, those, the people that believe that way get those kinds of signs. So that's what he's talking about. But he's also giving us a principle that goes in line with what we're talking about, the creative force that your mind has, that signs follow according to the way that you believe, the, the way that you think, the patterns that you set in your mind. So you can have somebody that believes the way they think is that nothing ever works out for me. Do you know what kind of signs follow that sort of person? No, nothing ever works out for them. Life is so difficult. Life is just kind of depressing. I mean, that's a, when I think about it, life is just so hard and awful and 
But you're going to have signs that follow in accordance with what you believe. That's why you've got to guard your mind and your thoughts above anything else because from it flows or it will direct the course of, of your life. Signs follow according to what you believe. So what do you believe about you? What do you believe about the calling on your life? What do you believe about the kind of life that God wants you to have? Because you're going to have signs that correspond with what you believe about those things and the way that you allow your mind to think because your mind has creative force to the point that you will determine the kind of things that follow you around in life based on how you use the loins of your mind. Guard it above anything, above anything else. Because from it flow the issues, the issues of life. Your mind has creative power. I've used this example before, but it's such a clear example of exactly what we're talking about in the book of Numbers. In the book of Numbers, Moses leads the children of Israel from Egypt right up to the, the door of the promised land. Numbers chapter 13. They send 12 spies in to go check it out before they go in and take the territory. But when the 12 spies come back out and give their report, they're divided on what they think. Two of them say it's amazing. I mean, this land is flowing with milk and honey. It is incredible. It's so, it's so wonderful. And we can surely take it. God is going to give us this land. The other 10 said, well, they're right about it being awesome. But what they're wrong about is we can't take it because along with the great big fruit, there were great big people and great big walls around the towns and they're fortified. We don't stand a chance. Let me read to you from Numbers chapter 13, verse 33. This is the report of the, the 10 spies. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight and so we were in their sight. Those people there saw us as grasshoppers. What's he mean by that? He saw us as small, insignificant. We're not able to do very much. We're not going to succeed in our mission. We're easily dismissed. That, that's how the other people there saw these men. Now, why did those people see them that way? It tells us right in that verse. First, we saw ourselves. We were as grasshoppers in our own sight. And as a result, what came from that? And so we were in their sight. What, what, where did it originate? The creative force of their mind. They saw themselves. We can't do what God's called us to do. We don't have the strength. I mean, it would be awesome if we could, but we just don't have what it takes to do this. We're small. We don't stand a chance. We can't succeed. And that's exactly the signs that, that followed them. They had grasshopper issues. Why? Because what went on in their mind. They created the issues they were dealing with because they didn't guard carefully what was going on in their mind. Now, Joshua and Caleb, the other two spies, they didn't have grasshopper issues. They came back 40 years later and they did take the land because they guarded their mind and it determined the course of their life. They knew, you know, we can surely do it. I can do everything God's called me to do. God's with me and he's for me. He says I can do it, then I can do it. That's the way they thought and that's exactly what proceeded from their life. You see yourself as a grasshopper, that's ex exactly what you'll become. Other people will begin to perceive you the same way that you perceive yourself. Why? Because your mind is a creative, a creative force. You know, your mind, your mind conceives things, right? That's where you conceive. You conceive an idea. You conceive a thought in your mind. It's a place of conception. Oh, yeah, I, I, can, I can conceive that. 
or that's inconceivable. That means I, but someone says that's inconceivable. I, I can't wrap my mind around it. I can't, I can't grasp that with my thoughts. But if you can conceive it, then, then you're thinking about it. It's talking about our mind. But there's another part of the body that conceives. Not just your mind, a womb also conceives. And in a very similar way, that a womb is able to deliver, to produce fruit, only in correspondence with what it has conceived. A womb can't produce something that it hasn't first conceived. That's the way your, your mind works. Your life can't produce something unless you first conceive it. Before, before my mother birthed me, before I emerged and I was the fruit, which is a really weird illustration to use. I'm realizing that now as I say First, it's, oh boy, it's just getting worse. First, they had to conceive me, right? That they weren't able to produce me until first there was conception. They conceived me first and then brought me forth. That, that's the natural order of it. Then they decided to have another kid. I'm sure they wanted to have another me. The problem was, just following logic here, the problem was when conception happened, it wasn't me that was conceived. It was my little sister. And so when it came time to manifest what had been conceived, it, it couldn't be another me because it only lines up with what has been conceived. You following me? Oh, you, your life can't produce things that you don't first conceive in your mind. And if you can't conceive it, then, then you can't produce it. And you can't you can't say, well, I just want my life to produce the good stuff and filter out. No, once, once you've conceived it, this creative force works for everything good and bad. That's why Jesus warned us and said, listen, murder and adultery and being a thief and blasphemy, all of it originates from the same place. Good things or bad things, it comes from the heart. It comes from the place of, of our thought life. If you want to bear God's kind of fruit, whether you're talking about the fruit of the Spirit or different things from the Word of God or I want my life to produce God's kind of results. I want to be the kind of man God's called me to be. I want to do the things that God's called me to do. I want to be the woman, the wife, the mom, the dad, the, the, the businessman, whatever it is, the things that God ordained when I was in my mother's womb. I, I want to bear that kind of fruit. There's only one way to do it. There's only one way to bear that kind of fruit, that you have to impregnate yourself with God's kind of seed. If I want to produce God kind of fruit, it comes from God kind of seed. And I've got to conceive it, impregnate in the womb of my mind where conception takes place if I want to produce that in my life. And if you don't first conceive it, then you lack the ability to deliver it. So I, I want to work our way through a few verses in the book of Romans. If you have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 8. Because in Romans chapter 8, there's a series of questions asked, and it's like he's, he's almost doing equations or something. He's giving us a truth. If this is true, then what, what else must be true? Or he's giving us a seed, just really simple elements of the gospel, and asking questions, if, if this is the seed, then what kind of fruit do you think that seed would produce in a person's life? Romans chapter 8.
Start reading in verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? We'll just start right there. If this is true, if God is for us, who, who can be against us? You, you know, it's easy when you read the Bible, you read through the Gospels, Jesus asks a lot of questions, or you read through passages like this where there's a bunch of questions, and you read it, and you just kind of keep on plowing through. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And he continues asking questions. And you just, yeah, these are good questions. And you keep moving on. When the Bible asks a question, it's for a reason. You've been asked a question. Take a minute to answer the question. If God is for you, then who can be against you? What's the answer? If God's for you, who can be against you? Nobody. Or if they are, then good luck because it doesn't matter, right? Now, you know the answer to that. But for a lot of us, that answer doesn't, it doesn't carry a lot of weight. If God's for me, who can be against me? Nobody, I guess. But it doesn't really impact our life. The answer doesn't carry a lot of weight because we haven't allowed the seed or the truth that it's based on to really impact us. You and I can walk in this life with have, having no fear of who's against us, what's against us, what kind of obstacle, what kind of force, what kind of organization is working against us because God is for us. We can walk through that with that kind of fearlessness and hope and joy, but it only comes as a result of the seed of knowing God. God is for me. God is for me. That's the seed that produces the fruit of who can be against me. Good luck. It doesn't matter who's against me because if God is for me, my success is guaranteed. That's the fruit, but we've got to impregnate ourselves, guard ourselves. This seed gets in. This seed latches on. I'm going to let this seed grow in my life. God is for me. If that answer doesn't really sway you or move you or have any kind of real impact is because you, you haven't impregnated yourself with the seed that that fruit comes from. Right. No, nobody can be against you. Eh, that, that, that's nice. Tell that to the guys at work. Tell that to this, my, my ex. Tell that to... You haven't, you haven't let that truth settle in the way that you need to let it settle in. If God is for you, that, that, that's the seed that produces who, who can be against me. God is for you. Do you know that? God is for you. He's for you. In John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus said, No man can come to me unless first the Father draws him. And if you have a relationship with Jesus, it's not because you decided to choose him. He, he's the one that drew you. And a lot of times people get the idea that they are pursuing God. They're the ones going after the Lord and the Lord's kind of avoiding them or not really in the mood to interact or manifest himself. No, God's the one that draws us. So any, any drive you have to go towards God isn't really you pursuing him. It's actually him pursuing you and drawing you to himself. You can know God is for you. You've got to know it. Have it saturate your mind and heart that the way you think of yourself, the way you think, think of life is God is for me. Jesus said in John 15, 16, you, you didn't choose me. I chose you. God chose you. He's for you. He likes you. God loves you. He made you a son, made you a, a daughter made you his child, brought you into his family. He created you in his image so that you could be like him. 
He brought you into his kingdom. And, and not just somebody to ride along. He gave you a, a place of significance in his kingdom. You know that you're important. You are important in the kingdom of God. You are important to God. You're not just another face or just another number. You matter to him. God, God is for you. He loves you. God's for you. Who's this for? This is for me. This water is for me. What, what does that mean? That this is for me. It means, it means this is available to me. Because it's for me. It means that the benefits that this bottle of water can provide, that those benefits are directed at who? This guy. Why? Because this bottle of water, this is for me. Thank you, Dozer. This bottle is for me. Now, similarly, God, God is for you. What's that mean? He's available to you. That the benefits God could bring in a person's life, those benefits are what he wants you to enjoy, what he wants you to receive. God is for you. He is on your side. He's with you. He's not against you. If God is for you, who in the world can be against you? If, once, if people would get this, the fruit that that seed alone would bear in their life, it is life-altering. Look at the life of Moses. Moses is a great example. Moses left Egypt scared for his life after killing an Egyptian. Egyptian, ran for his life, hid on the backside of the desert for 40 years. But then one day he had an encounter with God. And God said, I want to send you back. You remember this conversation with, with the burning bush? And Moses said, oh, Who am I going to say? He sent me back to Pharaoh. Tell him I am sent you. You know how Moses returned back after 40 years. He, he left running for his life, scared. What are they going to do to me? I just need to get out of here and not show my face. He comes back, marches into the, the palace to see the king. That's what Pharaoh was. He was the king of the most powerful land on earth at that time. And stands, looks him in the eye with his head up, shoulders back, and says, you let these people go. Where, where do you get that kind of boldness? He is the same man. What changed in his life? Now he's had a revelation. God is with me and God God is for me. Ask me who sent me. The I am sent me, the creator of heavens and earth. You and I can do that same thing. That's what this passage is saying. You, who sent you to that workplace? Who sent us to this community? We're not here just because we don't know where else to live. God has gathered us together. The I am sent us here. And if God is for us, God sent you to your family. God sent you to that neighborhood. God sent you to that workplace. God sent you to this church. And if God is for you, if he's the one, like, like Moses, the I am sent me here. I'm here and I have to succeed. It's impossible for me to fail at what God has called me to do. That's the way we've got to guard our hearts and our minds and from it, it will produce the issues of life. It, it changes everything. It, just using this as an example, if I know God is with me and God is for me, it, it changes. I'm just using this as an example because this is what I'm doing. Preaching. If I'm just preaching on my own, if I'm just talking into this electronic stick on my own, all, all I've got is nouns and verbs, adverbs, whatever other things there are that I probably misuse. That's all I've got to try to stand up here and talk. And it can become very discouraging. Grade myself after. Man, I, I messed up. I didn't tell that story right. Feel defeated the rest of the week. I'll try to do better next week. There's very little fruit that comes from that. 
But if I can do the same thing with the mindset and thinking of myself and thinking of this moment that God is with me and God is for me and God is the one working in cooperation, I'm just a vessel that when I speak, it's not just nouns and adjectives and all those kinds of things, that it's actually like a two-edged sword. And as we're spending time together, the power of God's word can be breaking bondage off of people. That my words aren't, aren't just sound waves, they're actually light, driving darkness off of people's minds and people's hearts. That will I'm standing up here talking. The presence of God is moving and touching people. God's spirit. People can receive a healing in their body, a healing in their marriage. Whatever they need is available. That's a different way to approach things. To know I'm not, I'm not in this thing alone. I'm in this. The I am sent me. That, that changes everything. That doesn't just, I'm using this as an example. It applies to you running your business, you running your household, you raising your kids, you trying to work on that relationship with a significant other. That you know, I'm I'm not in this thing alone because God is for me. And if God's for me, who can be against me? I, I love what Psalm 18 says. Psalm 18 verse 29 says, for by you, I can run against a troop. By my God, I can leap over a wall. I love that verse. Uh, on my own, I don't stand a chance. By, by you? But God, if we're in this thing together, I'll run against an army. The New Living Translation says, I can crush an army. By you, God? Okay, now, now, now. You've taken the limits off. What I can do with you by my God, I can leap up, put an obstacle in my way. I'll, I'll just go over it. I'll go through it. I'll do whatever. By my God, I can take on anything that comes against me. Because if God is for me, who can be against me? Listen, I'm just using this as one little seed as an example. He's asking questions. If this is true, then what naturally follows? And if I'm not seeing what naturally follows, then I haven't really grasped the truth of that seed. If God is for you, then what what naturally follows? You, you should never feel fear again a day in your life. You should never lack joy and peace again a day in your life. Because if God is for, if that's true, if it's true, if God is for you, for you, who can be against you? Who can be against you? Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He's doing the same thing. He's giving us, and this is very basic truths. This is the gospel, right? God is for you. God's not against you. He likes you. He who did not spare his own son, this is John three sixteen. He's just giving us a seed and saying, okay, what's the fruit that you think that comes from this kind of seed? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He who did not spare, he didn't hold back his own son for you, but delivered him up, means turned him over, released him, gave him for you. How will someone who's willing to do that not freely give you all, all things. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you needed a favor. You need someone to do something for you, to help you with something, to loan you some money, to give you some money. If you're like me, it's very uncomfortable to ask people for stuff for yourself. I can ask for other people. I can ask you guys to serve for the good of our church. Let's do big things for our community. Let's give big for our missions project. I can ask on other people's behalf. I have no problems with that. 
but I'm uncomfortable when I need to ask for me. But if I'm gonna ask somebody for something, I'm not gonna ask somebody that I know doesn't like me. I'm not gonna ask some guy that I know he can't stand me, hey, can I, can I borrow like $100 or something? I, I know that that's not an effective way to do it. If, I'm, if I need something from someone, I'm going to approach someone that I know likes me. And the way that I'll know that they like me is to look at their past record of what they've done for me, or maybe they've blessed me in the past, and I'll know that this person, the kind of person that's helped me before, the kind of person that's gotten me out of a jam before, if I need something, that's the kind of person that I'm going to go and ask for something for. Now, he's following that, that same logic. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him for you delivered up his son for you. Why would you think that he's going to hold back on you now? Why would you think he's exhausted? The, the, the richest treasure that heaven had to offer didn't spare, spent it for you, to acquire you. You think that he's going to hold back in some other area? The Bible says no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. God's not looking to hold things back from you. So when you're believing for a spouse, believing for a child, believing for a job, believing for a healing, believing for a breakthrough, and you think that you're pushing the limits of what God's willing to do on your behalf, he who didn't spare his own son, that that's the seed. God didn't spare. He loves me so deep. I, can't, I can hardly wrap my mind around it, but I've got to grasp that truth. I've got to conceive and get pregnant with it. What kind of faith does that produce to believe for things that are far less God's not looking to hold things back. He exhausted heaven for you. How will he not also, with his son, freely, freely give you all, all things? This is important to note that that's the kind of God that you serve. You know the story of the prodigal son, the older son at the end of that story, when they're having a party, eating a fattened calf, there's music, there's dancing, and the one son was bitter and didn't want any part of it. What, what caused that son who'd been serving his dad all along, what caused that son to become bitter and withdrawn and not want to celebrate the goodness of the father? At the end of that story, he said, Father, I, I've served you all these years. I haven't even gotten one lousy goat to celebrate with my friends. Do you remember what the dad said? Son, everything I have is yours. You, you have access to everything. He'd become bitter over something. It wasn't even reality. It was just the way that he was thinking. And it drove a wedge between him and his father. He who didn't spare, all that I have is yours. Look how I didn't spare my own son. You think I'm holding back something on you? You think I don't want you to have the absolute best? I've already given you the very best. Everything else is available. But when we think he's holding back, it starts to embitter our hearts and build up resistance. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How will he not with him also freely give us all things? You've got to answer the question. You think he's going to hold back? You think he's going to freely make everything available? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Verse 33. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who
who justifies. Who's gonna bring a charge against God's elect? Who's gonna point out flaws and let you know what a disappointment you are and show you where you've blown it and remind you how you failed and keep letting you know that you don't measure up the way that you ought to measure up? Who's gonna do that? Who does that in our lives? Because when it happens, you think it's God, right? You think that it's God letting you know how disappointed he is in you. You feel like it's God reminding you that you're not good enough. You didn't read your Bible long enough. You call that a prayer life. You think it's God always looking over your shoulder, disappointed in you. This verse is telling us something else. Who's gonna bring a charge against God's elect if it's God that justifies? God's the one that justifies. That means he's in the business of making you right. The Bible says he's the lifter of your head. So if God is the lifter of your head, then who's trying to shove your head down in shame and condemnation? It's not God. It's not God. Who brings a charge against God's elect if, if it's God that justifies? You, you can know that's not what God does. I love John chapter 16 where Jesus talks about the ministry of the Holy Spirit and what he'll do in a believer's life. And he says that the Holy Spirit will come and he'll convict the world of sin. But he says when it comes to believers, he convicts of righteousness. I love that. That the Holy Spirit in your life is convicting, working to convince you, you're righteous. You've been made one with Jesus. Your son, your daughter. He's not, he's not trying to always condemn you and point out you're not good enough. That's what we think the ministry of the Holy Spirit is or what God is trying to do in our lives. And the, this passage is telling us that's not what God is working on in your life. It's God who justifies. He's the lifter of your head. And he's not working against himself, shoving your head down and, and lifting it back up. He just wants to lift your head and let you know that he loves you. He's for you. He's for you, not against you. Who brings a charge against God's elect? Revelation chapter 12 says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren that stands before God night and day trying to point out your flaws. So when you feel that condemnation, disappointment, you can know that's not God. That's the voice of the devil. You can learn to know the difference between the voice of the devil and the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life just from that. He convicts of righteousness. Continue reading. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God? Who also makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Who is he who condemns if it's Jesus who died in your place and now is making intercession for us? The Bible says in, in 1 John chapter 2 that we have an advocate. Even if you do make a mistake, even if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father. Who is it pleading your case? Jesus the righteous. Jesus the righteous. Again, we're talking about getting seeds in our heart to produce a particular kind of fruit. But we could keep talking about these verses all day long, but I, I hope even just the time that we've had, taking one of these and mauling it over and letting it, letting it begin to churn in our hearts and our minds, what it begins to produce, just knowing God, God is for you. Jesus died for you, and he's at the right hand of the Father, calling out your name, pleading on your behalf. God's not looking to condemn you, push you further away. He wants to draw you close. A couple of verses later, it says this, verse 38, I am persuaded that neither death nor 
life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. All those truths, Paul said, I'm persuaded. I've got it through my mind, in my mind. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. No created thing. Are you created? Yeah, you're created. That means you lack the ability to do anything that would separate you from the love of God. Here's what I want to do. One last thing and we'll, we'll, we'll pray. I just want to take a minute to meditate on something. Just using this idea of getting a seed of God's word, getting my heart, my mind, my thoughts pregnant with it, letting it deliver in my life the effects of that seed. In Luke chapter four, when Jesus began his, his ministry, he quoted from Isaiah, read up in the synagogue, read the scroll, the spirit of the sovereign God is upon me. He has anointed me. J just that. Spirit of the sovereign God is upon me. He's anointed me. He's anointed me. You know, Kenneth Hagin had a number of different encounters with Jesus. We got to talk with Jesus. And in one of those encounters, he said that Jesus told him that wasn't just the way he began his ministry. He began every, every time he ministered that way. Every time he began to preach, he would quote that passage of scripture. The spirit of the sovereign God is upon me. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He would, he would quote that same scripture. Now, maybe you don't buy that. Maybe you don't buy that Jesus told Kenneth Hagin that. But we do have in the Bible that in Luke chapter 4, that, that is Jesus' starting point for his ministry. That, that was how he initiated. That was the seed, in a sense, that birthed the, the life of Jesus. Are you and I supposed to think like Jesus? Are we supposed to be like Jesus? So that applies to you and I. If you know Jesus is your Savior, the Spirit of the Sovereign God is upon you. Just close your eyes. Just think about that. Let, that. let your mind get pregnant with that. Mumble it to yourself. The Spirit of the Sovereign God is upon you. It, it doesn't matter how you feel, what you feel. That's truth. The Spirit of the Sovereign God is upon you. He's anointed you. He's anointed you. Anointed, anointed means he's authorized you. When a priest would be anointed, they'd be authorized to operate as a priest. You're authorized to minister the power of God, to operate in the power of God, to walk in the power of God. The spirit of the sovereign God is upon you. That's what's on you. That's what's on your life. The spirit of the sovereign God. The spirit of the sovereign God is upon you. He's anointed you. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Let's go ahead and stand to your feet. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Continue to guard your thoughts. Monitor what's going on. The spirit of the sovereign God's on you. The spirit of the sovereign God is upon you right now. He's anointed you. He has anointed you. He's authorized you. that thought, if that seed produced the, the life of Christ that we read about in the Gospels, 
What does it have the possibility to produce in my life, in your life? Starting every day, knowing, thinking of yourself, I'm, a, I'm anointed. I'm an anointed man. I'm an anointed woman. The spirit of the sovereign God is upon me. Knowing God is for you. God is for you. That, that, brings, that brings fresh revelation to other verses that we're already familiar with. Today is the day that the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. What does it matter if it's the day that God has made? When you know that the God that is for you, the God, the God that is for you is the one that made today, you know it's been made especially for you. This day, I, this day has got nothing but good things for me. I, I know the one who made it. He's the one that is for, he's for me. He's the one that has anointed me and authorized me. The spirit of that God is resting on me right now. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Just close your eyes, lift your hands. Father, give us fresh sensitivity. Your spirit in our lives. Fresh anointing. Fresh grace to guard our, our thoughts. Fresh understanding that they dictate the flow of our lives, the course of our lives, the issues of our lives. Be filled fresh with the Holy Spirit right now. Receive a fresh infilling of God's Holy Spirit. Be filled fresh with the Holy Spirit. Filled fresh with the Holy Spirit. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.